Today's reading is from Luke, chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Messiah. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About five thousand men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. good to see so many of you uh, come on out to our first full and in-person service. It is a little bit different behind, behind the screen. I was joking with Duncan. I feel like I don't know, the president of the cohort. Uh, not in importance, but behind a bulletproof glass or <laughs> something like that. Uh, but more about protecting and just loving you guys and doing what we can. So I hope it's not too much of a distraction. But I'm overjoyed that we're all together today to celebrate at the Sunday together, to worship and to sing and to uh, just be in fellowship with, with each other. Uh, let's just pray as we go into the Word now. Uh, Father, we thank you, God, for all our, uh, all those that are here, Lord, and that be able to make it in this morning, uh, gathered here at your house. And we've all had different weeks. So, Lord, at this moment, when you just calm our hearts, when you speak to us, God, may your words be illuminated to us uh, this morning. And may words of truth uh, come from my mouth, and may everyone here, God, just hear words of truth that come uh, fr from you. Uh, and we pray this in the name uh, of the One, who is the way, the truth, and the life? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anyone here know what a Roomba is? You know, Roomba, one of those um, machines, like automatic machines that maps out your living room, those automatic uh, vacuum cleaners that maps out your space. You know, have you ever had one? Uh, I hear stories of, you know, they kind of go off and do their thing, but once in a while they get stuck. And you wonder, well, where on earth did the Roomba? Go. Well, imagine if you had a car like that, which is starting to happen, you know, automatic cars <laughs> that are driving around in the city, we're kind of moving up a little bit from, uh, from vacuum cleaners back to, to cars. Imagine a car that's fully automatic and not like the ones on the news and nothing against uh, you Tesla drivers, uh, but uh, the one, uh, the lady that fell asleep, you know, had you hear it on the news this week? That was uh, on the bridge, she's fully asleep and Tesla issued a, a, a notice of saying that you're supposed to be alert, okay, when you when you initiate the, uh, the automatic uh, direct driving that's going on. Uh, but yeah, she was driving across the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge uh, by uh, the car all by itself, just knowing when to turn lanes, not to turn lanes, when to brake and whatnot. Well, this is a whole other level. There's a company called Waymo. Anyone know of this company called Waymo? Uh, Waymo, and they have a taxi service that's fully automated. 
Uh, that started in Arizona, it's a US company. I think the parent company is Google, uh, back on auto as well. But it fully uh, drives in this unlimited space in Arizona. And then in 2020, they moved into San Francisco, into this small area where you're able to call a taxi, just comes up, there's no driver there, you get in and it takes you to your destination. Uh, so fully automated and mapped out the city and whatnot. But what's interesting, it had issues this uh, past week. Uh, not like the normal issues, which sometimes a car gets lost after it hits a puddle for some reason. <laughs> They're like, oh, the water maybe throw, throws it off. Uh, or sometimes it can't go into the left turn lane, where there's a designated left turn lane. So instead of turning left, it has to do three right turns uh, in order to get to your destination. Uh, but most people are like, hey, this is pretty cool. I'd rather be in a cool car like this. It's fully automated, especially in time of COVID, right? When I'm by myself in the car, uh, have it be a little bit longer than to drive and be another, uh, to share um, the car with someone else. But this week, uh, unless you were living, everything was fine unless until you were living on the street called 15th Avenue uh, in San Francisco, in a Richmond district uh, of, of the city, where the Waymo cars, for some reason, keep getting attracted to the street, and it's a dead end. And it's a dead end. So every five minutes, there's one car that keeps coming in, and it'll get stuck in a dead end, and it can't do the three-point turn. And sometimes we'll be able to figure out, you know, go in a circle you know, <laughs> for a while, and then finally figures out, okay, I can drive out. Uh, and the neighbors just laughing and coming out and sitting there watching these cars uh, getting stuck. And even some of them need to be, need to be rescued. Uh, they needed the employers to come in and be like, okay, you got to take the car out. You know, no, nothing to watch here, guys. You know, the car is totally fine and to, to rescue it. And it's, it's fascinating because I, I was reading this on the news and was watching this, and sometimes life just can feel like that, right? You know, there's things that you trust in every day, roads that you travel on, and, and life is, seems so automatic. But there's moments in life where it just feels stuck. Something as simple as a three-point turn that all of us that drives has done, I think, at one point of our lives. Something as simple as that, it, it becomes very, very difficult. Where we find that we're at a dead end. We feel stuck. We don't know where to go. There's no way out. And you're feeling like you need some direction, some help. And maybe it's in your job, or in your career, or in your certain life stage right now. Uh, maybe it's with your kids and raising a family and that relationship. You start wondering bigger questions like, what is my purpose? What is going on here? I feel stuck. I don't know what's going on. You're asking big questions like, what is life all about? Where am I going? Why am I here on earth? We're in a series called Meals with Jesus, where we're looking into passages that Jesus has as the title says, meals with people. He sits with a lot of people, eating meals and hanging out and having conversations. And we've been saying this throughout the series that we hope that it'll build in us this attitude that we're not only going to be a people that look like Jesus, but we'll be a people that actually live like we need Jesus. That we need him in our lives, that we're desperate for him, that we say we're really lost and stuck in Jesus, we need you in my life. And today we're going to look into what perhaps one of the most famous passages uh, of miracles uh, in the scriptures. It's recorded in all four Gospels. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And, and we're going to see that even in the problems God provides, even in the problems of our lives, even when we're feeling stuck, even when you're seeing, you don't see a way out, God can provide. And it's in moments where we feel like we're at that dead end with nowhere out, where our resources perhaps our low and our responsibilities are great, that it's in these moments that we're to remember that God, He has already solved the problem beforehand. He already knows the way. He already knows what's best. 
And we can see problems as problems, or we can see these problems as potential, potential of God's working, God making a way. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with them, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. This is a town where it was Peter and Andrew and Philip, uh, their hometown. And it's also a fishing village that's close to the Sea of Galilee. And what's interesting about this name is that it's translated as the House of the Hunt. Uh, the house of, uh, house of the Hunt or House of Fishing, where people come here to hunt, to fish, to look for a living, to look for life, to look for a way to progress in life. It's in this place that they find this desolation. But the crowds, they learn about it and follow him. So they follow this Jesus who was making his way through. And Jesus, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So paint the picture a little bit here. The disciples, they were tired from ministry. It took some time to go away and to retreat. And there's a saying that goes that if you don't take time to be apart, you're going to fall apart. So the disciples took this to heart, and they're going to go get some rest with Jesus to go to pray and to spend some time in fellowship. But as they're going to get some rest, they're interrupted. Another ministry opportunity comes up. But unlike the disciples, Jesus is not bothered by the instructions. He's not bothered by it because in this moment, he saw the people around. He's on his way elsewhere, but Jesus demonstrates for us what it means to live an unhurried life. He embraces the interruption. And though this isn't a sermon on, on, on rest and what it means to rest, I, uh, because rest is important uh, for anyone that needs it, and I'm definitely one of them. What Jesus is teaching here is important. Maybe it's because when the disciples are at their dead ends of their exhaustion, they're feeling like they have nothing else to give, that another opportunity comes out, that Jesus uses this moment to teach them that they cannot even depend on their own strength. When they have nothing else that's left, Jesus decides to do a miracle here. And he starts off here by teaching about the kingdom of God to the people there. And what is the kingdom of God? Why does he teach on the kingdom of God first? If there's a kingdom, as we come to learn, that there must be a king. So we see here that Jesus is saying in this kingdom that Jesus is the king over all, that God is coming and his reign is coming onto this earth. That God is creator and that he is holy and that the Holy Spirit is present in all corners of the universe and nowhere in the world is unknown to him. And if there's a king, that means there's a people, a people that belong to that kingdom. But I think there's more to this. You see, Jesus starts teaching about the kingdom of God because problems look different in the kingdom of God. When you understand who you belong to and where whose you are and your identity, problems look a little bit different. I'm not talking about the magnitude of the problem or to downplay the problems that we go through, but we see them just a little bit different when we belong to the kingdom. Because at the heart of what Scripture speaks of, what Jesus speaks of, is about the messianic kingdom, his kingdom of him bringing this rule where Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to come into this world, everything that you see, I am the true king. I am the one that's coming, and I'm going to rule, and everything is going to be okay. And in fact, as Jesus is walking on earth, he's not just physically going, uh, walking and being present among them, he's physically bringing the kingdom into 
the, in, into the places that he's in. And literally, the kingdom of God is breaking through wherever it is that he is going. So people that belong to this kingdom, people that follow this Jesus, people that know this Jesus see problems differently, see this world differently. And God's kingdom is not just somewhere else or sometime in the future, but God's kingdom is here and is now. I read the story this week that in 1990, R.C. Sproul, who passed away a few years ago, he's an American uh, professor, theologian, pastor. Uh, he was ministering in Eastern Europe, and he was to speak at three different countries. He was first in Czechoslovakia, then Hungary, and then lastly in Romania. And as he was on the train, uh, his uh, guys were warning him that it's going to get bumpy, not a train ride so much, but as you go into Romania, that the border guards it's going to be bumpy with them because there's a hostility towards the Americans and that he should be prepared to be arrested and to be questioned and to be brought into the police station. And sure enough, when the train was pulling into the station, it stopped and we saw two border guards come into uh, onto the train. And it went up to Archie Sproul, asked for his passport, and, he, and they didn't speak English, but they did say American. Uh, and they paused right there. And they called their superior, and the superior came on board and was speaking to the team and asked for all the passports again. And he said, American. Until he saw a woman on the team uh, with a paper bag. And at that time, uh, they weren't sure uh, about uh, what it's like to carry the, the Bible around. It couldn't be as freely as it was today. So she was actually hiding her Bible in the paper bag. And the guard was like, well, what's in the paper bag? So they took out... Uh, he took out, uh, she, she took out the Bible and showed, and Arsis was like, this is it. We're going to get arrested. We're definitely going in. And, you know, that, this is going to be it. Uh, there's, there's no more ministry after this. But the officer began leafing through this book and looking through this book. And very rapidly, then he stopped and looked at Arsis Sproul. And holding his passport, he looked at Arsis Sproul and said, you, no American. And then Arsis Sproul was like, no, I'm I'm American. And then he pointed to himself and said, me, no Romanian. And then he got really confused at that point because he pointed out and flipped to Philippians 3 twice and the word of God pointed out, our citizenship is in heaven. We are brothers. And I share that story. In that moment, the word of God said, let them go, they're Christians. It's okay. In that moment, Belonging to this kingdom was a little bit different. We walk around the city saying, hey, I might be the only Christian here. That I, I only do what I'm doing, no one else understands. But the city is full of other brothers and sisters in Christ. That God's kingdom, we see the world a little bit differently. But we go and encounter the world a little bit differently. We, we speak a little bit differently. We act a little bit differently. We think a little bit differently. Not because of who we are, but because of the God that's in us and the kingdom that we belong to. And the Jesus that we follow in the ways that he lives. We see our problems differently when we remember that we belong to God. And we belong to God's kingdom. That even in the problems, God can provide. Even in the worst situations, God can make a way. And Jesus is teaching this because the disciples had so much to learn. That Christians belong to God's kingdom and that they bring peace, sure, but he's saying, hey, I'm going to teach you about this assurance. I'm going to teach you what it means to truly belong. That when you belong to a kingdom, that this God that we follow, he also provides. He's not a tyrant. He doesn't just put a bunch of rules over us that this is how you're supposed to live, but he knows you. 
He knows me. He knows our needs. He provides in those needs. And Jesus is about to show that to them. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. So a huge crowd, 5,000 men, more people because men and children were there as well. Late afternoon, the disciples are overwhelmed, they're tired, they're exhausted, they're hungry, they're saying, hey, send them away. Send them away. The disciples only saw the problem and forgot that God was with them. Forgot the potential in that moment. They forgot that God can provide in the problems. And there's a warning for us here to, to not lean only on how we're feeling about the moment and what we're thinking about the moment, but to slow down. As hard as it is to slow down and discern what is God saying in these moments? In your moments of greatest trial when you're feeling stuck and at a dead end, what is God saying in those moments? Because what did the disciples see? They saw a mess. They saw a lot of people and they didn't see enough food. They saw all the problems, but they didn't see the potential. They didn't see the miracle that was about to happen. They were tired and they saw only the problems. But even when the disciples I love this. Even when the disciples didn't want to be there, God is still able. Even when the disciples like, send them away, I don't want to be any part of this, God's saying, no, 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 hold on a second. I still want you to be a part of this. I know you're tired, but that's not what I'm asking of you. I am going to perform a miracle. I just want you to wait and to see your wait on me. Even when the disciples didn't want to be there, God is still able to provide. So the power of God doesn't depend on our power in our strength, in our energy, and what it is that we can give. But that's hilarious because of what Jesus says next. He replied, you give him something to eat. Can you imagine being there that day? You're like, Jesus, I just told you we should send them away. I have to go buy some food because we don't have any food. And then you reply me with this, like, you're going to go, you tell me to go give them something to eat. Can you imagine the, 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 uh, the disciples there? They don't run a catering company. They don't run a catering company, let, let alone 5,000 people. That's a lot of people, all right? That's a lot of people who cater for us. Like, we don't run a catering company. We don't have any food. We don't have any connections. We're in a remote place. Or my cell phone died. We don't have any you know, connection and phone calls to make here. Like, we better send them away. But why does Jesus ask them this question when he knows that they don't have anything? That's a fascinating question we need to be asking. And I think it's because Jesus wanted them to shift from thinking about what they don't have to what they do have and how God is working in that situation. The answer, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Where did the five loaves and the two fish come from. John's account says that it came from the little boy's lunch, as we probably know the story. Uh, that little boy was carrying his food, and I guess the disciples, I don't know how they did it, they went up and said, hey, give me, give me the food. Uh, people are hungry, uh, or I don't know, maybe to ask gently, well, we'll pay you back uh, a little bit later. I'm thankful for that boy who was generous in distributing, because he was actually the first to initiate this miracle. Uh, and his generosity, but I'm thankful for the mom and the parents who gave him food, uh, so that also in this was part of the miracle that was happening here. But they found five loaves of bread and two fish, so it wasn't really true that they didn't have anything at all. Is this worth looking? 
and they weren't aware of what God has already provided in their midst. So there's a point for us here when we're facing dead ends, we're facing tough situations, before we start with the impossible, let's give God the possible. Let's give God what there is. Let's give God what we do have. And the disciples are thinking at this point, when Jesus asked them to split them into groups of 50, they're like, what is this going to be, Jesus? And with five loaves and two fish, what is splitting them into groups of 50 going to do? What is, how is that going to help Jesus? That's your idea? Okay, let's try it. Let's try it. Let's split them up into 50 and see what happens. You see, they might not have had that much food. They might, might not have had this, that much food, but Jesus was saying, this will do. This will do. And it's been said that a miracle started off with the generosity of that boy giving it away. Now it continues with what the disciples are doing. How the disciples are distributing, going to distribute the food and do what they can. And you see the problem here, I've been trying to rack my brain over this. Why groups of 50? What does that really, really do? Maybe it's to break the problem down a little bit. I'm trying to think practical. (laughs) Jesus is like, you're really overwhelmed right now. (laughs) So let's break the groups down to 50. Maybe the problem gets a little bit smaller. But the disciples answered, we only have Bibles. How is that really going to solve the problem? You see, they had them sit in groups of 50. They had disciples calm down and not go anywhere. There's a bigger point to all of this, is that in the problems and in the pain and in the dead ends, don't be too quick to leave. Don't be too much of a hurry to leave a place that's uncomfortable. Don't be too scared of the mess because you might miss the miracle. Don't be too scared of what God is doing in that moment, even though you're feeling pain, you're feeling anguish, you're feeling you don't see a way out because God has a way out. And God knows the way out. God has a plan even though you don't see it. Don't be in too much of a hurry to leave a place that feels remote and desolate and barren. And I really feel that's a challenge for us as Christians, especially here in a church in Vancouver. And Pastor Howard and I had lunch this week. We were just chatting about this. That as a city, that there's so much of us that love the comfort. We love to know what we're going to do next. We like, love to have a one-year plan, five-year plan, ten-year plan. We love to make all these plans. I'm not saying plans are bad. But it's underneath all of it that there's an underlying a pain and a discomfort that we run away from as a society. And we might mask our laziness in the name of efficiency. Or we talk about making things accessible when it really just has to do with staying comfortable in the moment. And I'm not saying we should go out looking for pain. Okay, like pick you. I'm going to run headfirst into painful situations and raise it. I don't think that's what God is saying, but I think there is a word for us here in Vancouver that when it's painful, that God could perhaps be speaking to you the most in those moments. He's asking you to stay, that I'm going to do something miraculous in your life. See beyond the pain, see the potential. Don't just look at the problem, see the Jesus that's at work in you and among you. And what if, instead of removing ourselves from the problem, we actually stay planted in the problem? We say, and we pray, God, what are you saying? What, do you, what word do you have for me? And I've said this again. Sometimes we miss the miracle because we stepped out too early. God's like, just stay and wait. See, see what I'm going to do. See how I'm going to bring healing to you in that situation. See how I'm going to make a way through where there seems like there is no way. 
So what does this remote place look like for you today? The disciples, they saw themselves in a remote place with no food, and they wanted to send people away. But Jesus is saying, stay right here. We're going to make it happen. And biblically, we need some examples that even in the beginning, that, that, that they were feeling afraid, and they were feeling remote, they were feeling isolated. Even in the beginning, in Genesis 3.21, Adam and Eve, they realized they were naked after they sinned, and they were falling apart from God, but God still provided with what? Provided for clothing. That God wants to give. That God wants to provide, even though we have problems. That Israelites seem to have no way out. The Egyptian army was coming, and their backs were against the sea. But God, in Exodus 14, He split the sea, and He made a way. You might notice in John 21, this was after Jesus was crucified and was buried, and then He was resurrected, and He appeared to the disciples when they were fishing. And he asked them, do you have any fish? And they're like, no. So he told them to lower the nets to the right side of the boat, because the right side is the right side. And they caught 153 fish, not just any fish, but large fish. And they pulled the fish back on the shore. And I love this. Jesus already had fish for them. And he's cooking fish. And in the text in John 21, 9, he didn't just have fish, but he also had bread. That our God loves to provide. When it seems impossible, where there doesn't seem to be a way out, God loves to provide in those moments. So what's your remote situation? What's your dead end? Where, what, 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 are you, what, what situation can't you see through right now? Where you can't see God at work? I think for many of us, it's the realization that our own gifts and maybe our resources, they're just not enough. You just don't feel enough. Maybe it's the strength and the energy you have. It's the time that you have or don't have, it's the monetary means and the funds. Maybe you think you're lacking some sort of personality, that you're not funny enough, energetic enough, confident enough. Maybe in your context you're thinking you don't have enough people to help with or enough hands to make a situation move forward. Or maybe, like I mentioned in the beginning, you're stuck at a job that you don't like. You're stuck doing homework that you don't care much about. Or in a family that you're not proud of to belong to. What is God seeing in all of that? Are we running away or are we staying and pausing and sitting and asking, God, what are you seeing in all of this? How are you going to make a way through? Because though it's true you're in a tough situation, here's another thing, another point for us to think that's also true. Your only is enough for God to work with. Your only is enough. They said we only have five loaves and two fish, and Jesus is saying that's enough for me to work with. You only have a net, then I will give you the 153 fish. You only, you only have fear like Adam and Eve did in the beginning? Well, God will provide the protection. I will protect you. I will clothe you. You have no way out. You feel like the whole world is pressing in. God will be enough and be your peace and give you a way, a way out of that situation. I'm not feeling like you're crushed in and boxed in. Your only is enough, whatever that only is that you have. Your only is enough. My first missions trip was to Ensenada, Mexico. This was back in 2002, something, 2002, 2003, I think it was 2002, uh, where one of this mission trip, I was a team back then, and 
I was still trying to, I was starting to go to church, learn what this Jesus thing is all about. And I was on this mission trip with a bunch, two van loads of Christians that drove from here all the way down to Mexico, 2,500 kilometers about, down, singing Chris Tomlin, uh, all the way down. And I'm like, these guys are nuts. <laughs> I was like, I'm stuck in the back of this van, it was 16, 15 passenger beds. All teens, so the smell is interesting. No offense. I'm just saying for myself. <laughs> and I, actually, I, I remember because I'm like, whose sock is this? I remember, I remember picking. <laughs> That's a classic story. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> we drove all the way down, and we listened to the testimony of this woman who lived in the shanty part of the, the town. Lived, think tin, think cardboard boxes, think garbage bags. And she was sharing her testimony with her kids in front of her house. And I don't remember the full story of what she shared, but what she did share, this one line stuck with me. She said this, I may look like I have nothing, but in Jesus, I have everything. I may look like I have nothing, but in Jesus, I have everything. And I looked at her and I was thinking, what on earth are you talking about? I'm a Vancouver boy, born and raised. Might not be the most wealthy, but I have a, a roof over my head. My parents provided food on the table, but I still felt like I was missing something. I had the education, we had the school, we had all the means for a normal life, a good life, comfortable life. I feel like I felt like I missed out, and I was still missing so much. But yet this woman that lived in a cardboard box, made out of tin and garbage bags, felt like she had everything. And this, bless this woman's heart, this kingdom-hearted woman, this woman got it. She understood what it means to trust fully in God, to give her only to God. And ultimately, it was because of this woman's testimony that kicked me over, that catalyzed my faith into the direction that it is, of me accepting Jesus as Savior. And I hope one day I'll meet her <laughs> to have this conversation in heaven. She took her only. And Jesus says, I'll take the rest. Your only is enough for God to work with. Whatever your only is, whatever little you feel like you have this morning. So taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And can you imagine being part of that miracle that day? Five loaves, two fish, I pass it over to Jesus, and he, he gives it back to he gives it back to me, and like, what is going on here? The disciples were the first to witness this miracle, even though the disciples were the first ones that wanted to send them away. The first ones to be corrected, like, wow, wow, what's going on? Oh yeah, I knew this was going to happen. The disciples, that's what disciples do. They don't provide, they don't make up new things. Disciples distribute. That's what a disciple of Christ does. They take what Jesus has given them and they give. They pass it on, they distribute it, whatever it is that they have. If some of you need to hear that today, that you're not called to make something new in whatever situation you feel like you're in, you're called to distribute what God has given you. Whatever little you feel like you have, whatever it is, whatever gifts and talents and personality, however much or however little, whatever it is that you have, it's for you to distribute and to share and to use to be a blessing to the world and the people 
around you. Because the disciples they received from God, as freely they received, freely they gave. And freely they gave to the people around you. So as you do that as well, you may find yourself in times where you have a little bit more patience than you thought you had going into that situation. Or more energy than you thought going into that situation. Or more wisdom than you thought. I definitely have way more of that. When people come to me and say, Pastor Doug, I love that thought. I'm like, that didn't come from me. The best thoughts that come out usually aren't in my notes, so I don't know why I bother. <laughs> that the way that God speaks and the, God, the way that God moves, those moments where you have more patience, more joy, more wisdom, more energy, more of whatever it is that you thought than you thought you had in the first place, those are moments where God is moving and using you and speaking to you. Your only is enough. That even in the problems, God can provide. And the final thought for us this morning that the bread, maybe I should have planned a little bit better, I should be convenient this last couple weeks ago, <laughs> but the bread, it was only good when it was broken. As a whole, it wasn't any good to the crowd, it was only with Jesus breaking it, that was good for use for the rest of the people, for them. And I want that to be an encouragement for you today, because if you're feeling broken, and you're feeling in need, and you, perhaps I would say you're situated in the perfect place for God to move and to speak and to use you and to do a miracle in your life, to do something that you didn't think that He could do or would do. Because the more we need Jesus, the bigger the impact we make in the world. The more we realize how amazing, how powerful, how awesome this God is. So this morning, if you're feeling broken, you're feeling weary, you feel like you don't have all the answers, don't run away from it. Press into this moment and pray, God, be with me. Speak to me. I need you. This morning, we will all as a church bring our only to God and see what he can do. Father, this morning, we come to you now in prayer. We thank you, God, for the goodness of your word that speaks every time it opens. We open it. God, whatever only it is that we have this morning, whatever problems, Whatever tiredness, whatever weariness, whatever situation, whatever dead situation we feel like we're stuck in, God, will you give us hope? Will you give us joy? Will you give us a way to see through the situation? And may we have faith today to believe that you are a God that's done. That even in the problems, you can fight. May you give us faith today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.